doing what we haven't seen. And that's kind of the tough part a lot of times about the Christian life. As we're called to not only believe, but sometimes take an action in something we haven't even seen. We think that might happen. Or we anticipate it. Or we have, in the Christian life, a hope. So that's the title of the message. That's kind of where we're headed. We'll be in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. And you can turn it now and get ready if you haven't already. Uh, but I'll start off by telling you this. Uh, one of the first fights me and Julie had, because people always like stories. And so uh, one of our first fights after we got married... Um, Actually, one of our first fights happened on the honeymoon. Uh, so yeah, we had at least one fight on the honeymoon. And, uh, and fights and arguments, we didn't call them fights. We called them a disagreement. And uh, it's okay, you know. It's a good opportunity to learn how to communicate better and conflict, you know, is healthy. It's just kind of what you do with it and if you fight fair or not. And in um, this particular disagreement, we were on our way to church. And... Uh, I felt like we were on time. She felt like we weren't on time. And so the entire car ride of about 15 minutes uh, consisted of us going back and forth justifying our cases. And uh, in my mind, if service starts, I forget the time was, 11, service starts at 11, if we get there at 11, we're on time. That's just, and if you're after 11, you're late. To me, that make that's what I'm used to. For Julie, on time is 10:45 because she needs to get there early. She needs to kind of settle, say hi to people, and not feel rushed. That's what is on time for her. And so we go back and forth, back and forth, talking about this stuff. You know, who's right, who's wrong. That's not really the issue, right? You find that out when you're married, that it's not really an issue of who's right, who's wrong. It's how we're going to work together and make this thing right. And if something like this comes up next time, how can we better deal with it? And so at the center of that conversation is something that comes up um, during premarital counseling. And uh, premarital counseling has changed quite a bit. And uh, the last one that I just did was, was really good. A lot of good skills. But there's a topic that comes up, and there's a book, I think a, a slide up here, of, uh, that we go through, and it's a whole curriculum that we do for premarital counseling. Um, and even couples that didn't do it before they got married, they do it after they got married because there's so much good stuff in there. But it's called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts by Les and Leslie Parrott. And uh, in this book, part of it, uh, early on in the book, are these two concepts called unspoken rules and unconscious roles. Unspoken rules and unconscious roles. And so I remember sitting with Julie on the premarital couch, close together. We weren't far apart. Close together. And we were sitting there, and the uh, counselors were, you know, asked us this particular session, what expectations do you have going into this thing? And I was like, uh... None, not really. I don't really know what's going to happen. So I don't really have, you know, many expectations. I, and then she was like, yeah, I, I don't know. I know it'll be difficult, but it's something we've never done before. So I'm not really quite sure what to expect. And so here we are thinking, man, we don't really have any expectations going into this thing. So we should be pretty good, pretty flexible with whatever kind of comes our way. What I didn't know and what I didn't understand 
and maybe it wasn't even the best question that was asked to us, uh, a better question maybe would have been, are there any unspoken rules or unconscious rules? So what does that mean? That might help us get to the expectation part. So are there any unspoken rules? So for example, some people in their households, they have unspoken rules. Like for Julian, unspoken rule for her is, hey, listen, on time is 10.45. It's just, it's just assumed. They just know that. And that's actually a big part of her family. 15 minutes early, that's just the way it is. That's on time. It's an unspoken rule. I had no idea about that unspoken rule. You know? And so what you do in that premarital thing is you try and go through and identify these and see maybe what happens. So unspoken rules. Here are some ones that couples listed. Don't interrupt another's work. Always buy organic. Don't ask for help unless desperate. Right? Sometimes they don't want your advice. Always celebrate birthdays in a big way. Never raise your voice. Always be on time. Right? Here it is. It depends what time means, right? Pay bills the day they arrive. Clean kitchen before going to bed. And so these two people, two different lives, right, coming in, maybe that happened in their house and that's just sort of expected. It's an unspoken rule. These things have to get done. The bill comes in, it just goes out that same day and pay it. It's not a rule in my house, but maybe it was maybe in somebody else's house. I don't know. And then there's unconscious rules. Like expectations of like a rule that they should play. There are things that you should do, you know, rules, and there's rules that maybe they should play. And in the book, they tell a story of a newlywed couple, of uh, these, uh, this couple gets married, and they're moving furniture around in their house, and they're kind of, you know, hanging pictures, and, and so they're moving things around, and he says, you know, where do you want this to go? And she goes, I don't care, you know, you put it where you want. And he goes, no, where does it go? And she's like, no, I don't know, it doesn't matter to me. And so then they go, start going around in a circle. Where does it go? I don't know, it doesn't matter, it's up to you, well, I don't know. And so they come to find out that there's unconscious rules going on within that. She, her background is, her dad a lot of times took the initiative, Mr. Handy, Mr. Fix-It, just took something, got it done, and that was it. Done. He came from a background of where uh, his mom basically told him everything to do, and his mom told his husband every, her husband at, well, what to do, and that's just kind of the way it all functioned. And so they have these two people that are now coming together and these roles are sort of mixed up kind of in their head. And so it's a great benefit to them to now sit down maybe in premarital type thing and say, okay, what kind of roles happened in your family? What kind of things did your mom do? What kind of things did your dad do? And so somebody may have been the planner. Somebody may have been the shopper. Somebody may have been the cleaner, the cook, the gift buyer, etc. Right? And then they just to list them and see what challenges might come up. But what does this have to do with what we're going to be talking about today? Well, I think that there is a relationship between expectation and belief. I think there's a relationship between what we expect and what we believe. I don't expect for when I go home to have an awesome lunch on the table because my dog Duchess prepared it for me. I just don't believe that will happen. I don't believe she's capable of doing that, so I don't expect it. So I think there's a relationship between expectation and belief. And so the question is, do we have maybe any unspoken rules or unconscious roles when it comes to God? Do we have any? We might. 
depends how we were brought up. It depends the model that we saw. It depends what we were around. It is an important question to think about. And maybe another question to follow on that one is, does our faith, does your faith, and what Christ can do, does it have any limitations? So does your faith in Christ have any limitations? So Sunday school answer would be like, no, Jesus can do anything. He can do anything. He's God. I love Him. He's the best. But does your life actually show it? Do the decisions and choices that you make actually show that? might be a little bit surprised. And only really you know the answer. I don't know the answer. Only you really know the answer. So if you say yes, it does have some limitations. But then we got to explore like why? How come our faith in Christ maybe has a little bit of expectations? Why are they there? What happened? If no, then why? What's the thought process behind that? How did it get there? And then maybe there's just some people who are like, eh, sometimes. Sometimes I think you can do anything, and other times I just don't know. You know, why is that? Where is this coming from? What are these situations where it comes up? Here's the reason why I ask these questions. Because it matters in the type of life that we will experience in Christ. Whatever kind of expectations we hold or unconscious roles, beliefs, assumptions we have about God, that's going to matter in our Christian life. It's going to affect it. You might not totally believe that. And you might say, how does that work? God is still God. He's going to do what He's going to do. God can do anything anyways. But, what we believe actually plays a big part And so by the end of the message, I'm hoping that we'll gain a little bit of courage and maybe we'll stretch ourselves and start to believe God for more. And whatever it might be. Or we just might take a step and just believe God for more than we typically would. Or maybe take a risk. The Christian life is like some risky business. People don't think it's like really all that risky. It's super risky. So we're going to talk about some of that stuff. So, let's finally get to Matthew 9. These are some of the things that we're going to encounter. And we're in verse 18. And so last week, we talked about fasting. They're all hanging out at Matthew's house. They're there eating. Jesus is there with his tax collectors and his sinners. Right? We talked about the sinners that are there. That's right, Joe's got it. Sinners. Right? And so they're, you know, that's the way the Pharisees see these people. They're not like real people. They're bad people. They're sinners. And so they're there. And, Jesus, and they're like, why are you hanging out with them? And Jesus is like, well, you know what? It's not the health you need a doctor, but the sick. And then they're asking them, they're saying, Jesus, why are you feasting? Like, we fast twice a week. Why are you eating all the time? And he says, listen, right now is not the time for that. It will become time, but right now is not the time. And so as that is happening, in verse 18, it says, While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus got up, and he went with him, and so did his disciples. It says, just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, and he said, take heart, daughter, 
He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. It says, when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put inside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. And news of this spread all through that region. So we keep going. Verse 27. It says that Jesus went down from there. Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And so he touched their eyes and he said, According to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. So Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went on and spread the news about him all over that region. And while they're out there, still again, right? A man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. It says Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So what a day. What a day going on there. And part of in your uh, bulletin there, I think the bonus question was, you know, how many key players really were there in the story that we picked up that Jesus encounter? There's a bunch going on there. You have seat, really six of them, right? Because you have the ruler, and his name is Jairus. You find this out uh, through... Mark 5 and Luke 8 is in other parts of the Bible. So he's one of them. You have his daughter. Right? You get the woman that was bleeding. You get the two blind guys. And then you have the demon-possessed guy that can't talk. So we've got like six people going on. That's a pretty heavy day. So what is going on here? You have this guy, Jairus, comes up to Jesus. And he says, hey, listen, you have to come and put your hand on my daughter. And she's going to live because she just died. This is pretty significant. This guy Jairus, he was uh, kind of a big shot in the synagogue. So he's part of this religious leader group. And his job was to coordinate who's going to do the prayers for that day, who's going to do the reading for that day, and then, you know, how they're going to preach on it, for lack of a better term. And so that's really a big step for him. His colleagues were not really a big fan of Jesus. And so he's really going out of his zone. And you've got to imagine, he's extremely desperate. His daughter just passed away. And so he's like, I'm going to do anything, whatever it takes. And so often like we wonder why God brings us to certain places. Well, sometimes that's just where he gets our attention. Whatever it takes, Lord, I'm going to do it now. Everything has fallen apart. And so he says, come, put your hand on her, and she's going to live. He had faith that she's going to live. So he got up, did that, and as he was on his way, this woman just... And we find out from the other passages, she spent years with doctors, years on money, never got healed. 
And now she just believes, oh man, if I could just touch this guy's cloak, you know, I know I get healed. And it happens, and he's like, your faith has healed you. That's how it happened. And they get to the house, and Jesus says, don't worry about it. This girl's going to rise. They laugh right in his face. And it says in the other Gospels that he took him, James, and John, and the parents. And that was it. They went into the room, and he said, little girl, get up. And she just gets up. Amazing. Then you have the blind guys and the mute guy. It's an amazing day. So I want to just focus on and take a look at a couple things. One thing I want you to notice is the repetition. Whenever you read the Bible, you want to look for certain things. You want to look for the context. You want to look for like contrasts, differences. Um, you want to look for emotions, for verbs, action-type words. Um, in this particular case, we find some repetition. Let's take a look at the repetition because that is important. Jairus says, in the beginning of verse 18, he says, come and put your hand. When he goes to the woman, he says, your faith has healed you. When he goes to the blind guys, he says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. For all of these, except for the mute man, the faith was a very important element in something getting done. For Jesus to work, for an action, a healing in this case, to take place. It was very important. The only time it didn't happen is with the one man who was mute from the demon possession. And maybe he knew he had the faith. I don't know. So what do you take away from that? Well, what we take away from that is that our faith matters to the working of God in our lives. And I think it will pop up here. It can actually have an effect on what God will do. Our faith matters. Like what we believe about God. Remember we talked about unconscious roles? Right? Unconscious roles, what we think how we might see God in Christianity, well, what we actually believe about that, the type of faith that is involved in that, it actually matters because it will actually affect what God might do. Now let me say, again, God could do anything, absolutely anything, whenever He wants, at any time. Sometimes, the faith element of us is very important. It says in Mark 6, verse 5, that Jesus, when he was in his hometown, and he was his friends, people he grew up with, families that he knew, hanging around with, it said that he couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people, a few sick people, and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He would have done more. He could have done more. But it was pretty evident that, like, you know what? They just have no faith there. They have no belief in me. They could really care less. And so what did it do? It kind of set up a blockage. Set up a door. And I certainly think that's one thing, me being a Christian, and you, if you call yourself a Christ follower, that's one thing you definitely do not want to do. We don't want to set up any sort of blockage or door. And we shouldn't have to have our faith, and when we think about God, be patterned after like reference points in our brains. Like we should like let God 
give to us what could actually be possible, which is actually the impossible. So we don't want unconscious roles when it comes to God and set up patterns and things that we're used to and, well, you know, my experience is you show up at church and you do your prayers and you try and be a nice person and just all kinds of falls nice, neat, and in order. And so then that's what you expect of God. That's what I expect the Christianity part of my life to look like, to just show up, do those things, and then that's pretty much it. There's so much more to that. We don't want to put a ceiling at all. So I think there's two places in our lives that we have to believe God for more, right? Because that's what we're trying to do. We want to actually believe God for more. Not just say it, but actually really believe it. Have the faith for that. And this is really a process. There's day-to-day things where we can just really trust God for more. And then there's an entire spiritual life where we could really trust God for more. So do me a favor. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to I show you something here. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think that this is just so important and uh, we just get so comfortable. Alright, so let's take a look. Chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1. I'll read it for you. So it says, um, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers. I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines." There's a reason why I read that passage. is because there's this whole other life other than just coming and sitting and just kind of sitting on the sidelines. Listen to some of those things going on in there. Words of wisdom. Words of knowledge. Gifts of healing. Miraculous powers. Prophecies. Being able to distinguish between spirits. I mean, this is like a whole other world. And all of us are gifted in some way to some capacity. I don't know if you believe it or not. I don't know if you put already a ceiling on that. And you're just like, whoa, no. Not me. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. But the Bible says that we are all gifted with different gifts in different ways with different amounts. And it works in different ways. I think it's amazing 
that this other life is out there and somehow we settle and we can put a roof on and say, uh, well, we can't do that. That was just really for that time. And that's what some people will tell you. Some people say, no, 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 those gifts are just for that time. It was just for that group of people. And that's what it was for. Um, I think many times, you know, the people that say that, they haven't had really these experiences in their life. They haven't really seen it. And so for them to easily deal with it, they say, it just doesn't really happen. Because I haven't really seen it, I haven't really experienced it, just doesn't happen. So it's like they assume now the experience of everyone in the world that has ever lived and say, no, it hasn't happened. Because like, we're not just talking about Naugatuck, Connecticut. We're talking about everywhere. And Brazil, and India, and Thailand. And so, if we're going to say that this stuff is not happening, then all those missionaries that are there, and these stories that we hear, that I've read multiple times here, that are all over the internet, and if you take any time to ever look into, these things are happening. Absolutely happening. And so if they're there, they're also available for us here. Certainly. But I don't know how many of us really cry out in secret for more of God in that way. I don't know. And it's my hope, and it's my prayer, and has been my prayer, that at least at this church, you know, CC Nagi, that that will be a mark of us. That it wouldn't just be a matter of words and being persuasive and whatever else, being technical, savvy, whatever. I mean, all those things are nice and important, and, and I'd like to have them. But more importantly, I'd like for this church to have the mark of having the power of God on it. And so I come with expectation here that God is going to heal people, maybe in this room, maybe friends that we have. That God will speak, maybe through prophetic ways or words of knowledge, through people here, or people that you know. Like, I want that to be open. I want that to be a mark of this church. I want stories to be built here in this church. And I know it's from God because I don't, like, I don't play a part in that because I want all that glory to go back to Him and say, listen, that God of the Bible thing is real and it's happening and the people at that church over there, they're doing that. But we never even enter into that if in our own lives and in our private time, we've just given up on it. The ceiling is there. It's an unconscious role. And then some people are like, oh, I tried that, I did that, I never really saw it. And so, not going to anymore. So I think that leads us, well, before we get there, I want to talk about what I just said. You know, there are some people, certainly, that are like, you know, I tried that, I did that, doesn't really happen. I really encourage you to go look, go read some books about some people that really take some steps of faith that extend themselves out there. We said this life is risky. Sometimes God might ask us to do risky things. You know, be in that grocery store and maybe pray for somebody in line. When everybody else is there and you might just look like a fool, especially if nothing might happen. Tell me that's not risky. 
But many of these people um, that walk in this light, or many of these people that go to churches where this actually, you know, happens, for a lot of them, there was just a lot of disappointment really in the beginning and nothing really seemed to break for a while. I was reading a story this past week about this guy. And um, he made it a mission to pray for somebody, to, to pray for 10 to 12 people a day. That was his mission. And specifically, his thing is he wanted to see them healed. That's what he wanted. For a person that for each person, it would be a different thing. But for him, he wanted to see people healed. He's just like, God, I just want to see you heal people. So he made a mission, 10 to 12 a day, he's going to pray for. And he wrote them down. He kept records. He was serious. It's not just like, oh, I'm just going to throw this out there and see what happens, and if it doesn't happen, well, then I'm done. I said I tried it. It's not the way this thing works. We've got to fight. There's a battle going on. So he goes, 10 to 12 a day, he got up to uh, 700. Nothing. Not one. I would have quit at 100. I would have quit at 50. Unfortunately. Hopefully next year at this time I wouldn't say that to you. But then he said the next day um, he met a man, had some problem uh, in his knee. And he said he prayed for it right then and there. And um, I forget what the injury actually was, but healed right on the spot. Boom. Right there. But he just had to, for whatever reason, I don't know, had to just keep pushing through. He just had to keep pushing through. He had to keep going, keep praying it, keep putting it before God. Because so many times it'll hold us back. Quote I read this week, should have wrote it down and I didn't, but quote I read this week was about how disappointment is one of the greatest barriers that Christians can carry around. Where we've really felt like we've invested all that we have and everything within us into a particular area, situation, circumstance, cause, and we didn't see a result. And it's just crushing. And then what happens is it opens that door to where oh, God isn't what He said He is. I knew this wasn't that real. Ah, I wasted my time. It's just, you know. And then you get discouraged and you get complacent. And then we just kind of float around for a while. It just happens. Reading, uh, I watched a video this past week. And it was actually a new special. ABC did this new special. It was in 2009. And they, uh, they're doing a documentary on, they call them healing services, right? You've heard of them, healing services. And so that's this church. I forget what church it is. And so they're, they're doing a healing service. And... Uh, they follow this one in particular man who's uh, in a wheelchair. And he's been praying for a long time for uh, God to heal him so he can walk. And so they follow him all throughout you know, the video. And they're at this service. And you see, you know, you, you see at this service people you know, yelling and it's loud and hands are going. And, and whatever your opinions are on that, just put on the side for a minute. But they're there. And they're following this guy. His name is Steve. And then uh, one of the pastors eventually gets to him, prays for him, and they pray for him like 10, 15 minutes. And, uh, you know, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. And Steve was like praying for this moment, you know, praying it up, praying it up, and nothing happens. And 
So then, of course, the, the reporter, she's like, you know, who do you make of this? You invested so much of this. You really put a lot of stake in this. You've been praying for a long time. And he said, well, I guess just today is my day. He said, but I'm not going to quit on God because I know his plan is just something else. His plan is something else. I think when we start to like really put a lot of value in our own understanding, we're going to miss some things. We're going to miss some things. And so in the next clip, you see the guy in the wheelchair put his hand on the reporter's head and he just starts praying for her, which is awesome. And then she's like, man, you know, this is amazing. And she's like, now I know why I'm here. You know, I needed to be prayed for and understand a little bit better what is going on. And, uh, you know, that news story is a couple of years old, so I have no idea what's happened since. And then, I'm watching another video of these guys that are in Africa, and they're at a bus stop. I see a lady there. No, I see a man there. And um, he has some problem in his ankle. The two missionary guys, and they see uh, an African guy, and they let's go pray for his ankle. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's just go do it. So he started praying for his ankle. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, he can kind of jump. You know, you see him testing it out, you know, moving around. You see all his friends like, oh, 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 you know, checking it out. And then, you know, people start filing in, filing in, filing in. They start praying. And like things are happening. And then they show an interview with the guy kind of explaining what happens that day. And he said, listen, not everybody we prayed for got healed. He said, that didn't happen at all. He said, but some did. He said, I, I don't know, you know, why. And, um, you know, so what happens for Steve? And then what happened, you know, for the people in Africa? And how does that work? And why? I don't know. I don't know. But I think that, I know that, we're called to be faithful and just take the roof right off and not have, you know, these unconscious roles where God just kind of just does these little things and sort of exists in this way. And that's it. And that's just kind of the way we go. We, like, check in, check out, and put in our time. There's just so much more. And just reading through the Bible and you see, I mean, this stuff wasn't just for Jesus. In John 14, he says that we're going to do even more. Even more. And so what a day. What a day for him. (laughs) Raising a girl from the dead. What? Right? And then two blind guys. I mean, a lady is bleeding forever. And for all of them, though, their faith was critical. And so we never, ever, ever enter into that realm if in our own selves we're just locked in our own worlds and that's just all we see. And we create these barriers for ourselves and tell ourselves these lies. We never, ever get to what might be possible and experience some of the gifts that we might have. I was talking with Julie last night about like our you know, spiritual gifts and stuff like that. And... Uh, talking about, you know, people that we know and different things and, you know, half the people just don't even really know that they're there and they're just sort of like, I didn't even know I should really even be thinking about them. And for some of them, they've been in church for a long time. It's like, what? How did you not know? Like, there's so much more to do and these gifts are here to build up the church. They're here to bring glory to God. That's why He's given them. And it says right in there, we just read, it's for the common good of all. And it might not be the same all the time, and it might not always, quote-unquote, work and have a healing happen, but 
We've got to be called to be faithful and take those risks. So when I read a chapter like Matthew 9, and you see that day, and you see these six people, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing. I don't want to be like, that's awesome, he's Jesus, and that was then. But this is now, and that just doesn't happen. That would be the worst thing that I could do. It would be the worst thing that we could do. I think, you know, we got to like, it's, it's like anything else in life. we got to put some practice into it. Like, I remember practicing basketball. And in the beginning, you know, not feeling very good about myself and not being very good and knowing all my weaknesses. And so I'll do is, you know, play a lot by myself. You know, shoot and, you know, take the crazy shots and the layups and, you know, try left-hand layups and make free throws and see how many I could get and take all these little risks that I, you know, by myself and see what I could really do. You know, and that... You know, maybe I'd like pick up a game with like, oh, they don't look very good. So I'll go play with them, you know. And that's like kind of a safe risk. And if I mess up, like nobody will ever see it, you know. And then I'm like, oh, okay. That went okay. Oh, that game, they look a little bit better. No, they're too good. I can't. Yeah, I'm going to go try that one out over there. You know, I'm going to take a risk over there. And then I kind of like slowly, you know, build it up. And then by the end, I'm like, man, let's just go whoever they are, you know, and whenever. But it, like it took practice, you know, to build it up and put it out there and see what God might do. And if we never invest that time and practice into just taking a risk of faith where God is asking us to do it, and then we think that, oh, I, I tried it. I threw my hat in the ring and, you know, it didn't work out. It's like, that's just craziness. Craziness. So a few questions as we close here. Do I, do you have any unconscious roles about God? Is He in some box somewhere based on past patterns or reference points? Have you given up because of disappointment? Have you given up because of disappointment? Is that holding us back? Is that the lid that's on? And then the last one here. What or where is God calling you to believe for more? Right? What? What thing? Or where in your life? Where is it where God is calling you to believe for more? Because for all of us, it's a process. And we're all at different stages. And it might be man, God is asking me, you know, to do more by just waking up, just setting aside a time for Him during the day at a consistent time. He's believe- i got to believe Him for more of that. That's actually going to matter and impact my day. I don't think it's going to. You know, I think it's just going to, I'm going to lose sleep. I'm not going to be that focused. I'm just going to get distracted. You know, you just load it up with the reasons and then you tell yourself, ah, it's basically not worth it and then not do it. But what or where is God calling you to believe for more? And if you're unsure, just ask Him. I guarantee He will tell you. If you get yourself to a quiet place, He'll tell you. Because the way the, world, the, the Christian you know, walk really goes is that the impossible is really possible, right? There is no lid, there is no unconscious rules. It doesn't matter, you know, how big or how many numbers or how small or whatever. 
God is looking to do the impossible through us. Like That's what we're called to do. We have this impossible God behind us wanting to work. And the question is, is my faith aligned with that? Because if it is not, wouldn't expect too much. Wouldn't expect too much. So what we'll do is we, we got one our closing uh, hymn, Be Thou My Vision, which totally you know, plays into what we're talking about as far as God, give me that vision and see it the way you see it.